Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another Wednesday night extravaganza. Welcome to the one Wednesday night extravaganza. <laughs> what was that? Probably trying to wake us up here. I'd like to welcome everybody, all the listeners. Hope they had a great, fantastic Easter. And it's Injuice or Legends from Philadelphia slash 
Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson, up in Hotlanta, Mr. Roger Hendler, here in the Tampa Bay area, Mr. Roy Cummings, and Spinning the Dallas, keeping us on the air every every week, doing a great job, Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, hopefully everybody had a joyous, fantastic Easter. Sure did, yes, Tommy. Sir. Hope you did, too. Yes. Definitely See, Tommy, did, Tommy. Thank you so much. Oh, Tommy, yeah, no question a, about that. Oh, we just he, got a PSA so just much. came through from the uh, White House, Tommy. Uh, in a belated um, movement, Donald Trump has given you full immunity from uh, talking about your, your palling around with Matt Getson and his uh, romping and tomping with all the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Frank, we got we, we got so many things to talk about tonight. The Masters, what's yes. happening? What's happening with them? <laughs> You know, not, not only the Flyers in oh Philadelphia, but what's happening with the Lightning in Tampa? Oh boy! I mean, uh, a, I'm telling you, we 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 got a full boat tonight to talk about. So I can't yes, wait to do. get started. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Roy, why don't you lead off with the Lightning? I just, uh, you know, as as one of the Tampa media members said, it went about the schedule. John Cooper said it's like a baseball schedule, back to backs and the travel right there. But all you got to do, you know, all you want to do is just finish in the top four and you're in the playoffs. That's all you want to do. Get home ice advantage for the playoffs right there. But unfortunately, well, I'm I'm running I'll running into Tommy, Tommy, that's a goal for a team like um, that's a that's a goal for a team. Well, like like not even not even Carolina or Dallas. So that's right. a goal for Columbus. You know, that's a goal yes. for Columbus. It's not a goal for the Stanley Cup champions um, no. when you've been in first place uh, for the better part of the last, uh, you know, several months here, since really since mm-hmm. the season started. You've, you've kind of been there yes. certainly for the last month and a half or so. Um, so, but, I mean, you're not wrong, but, but that's a goal for a, t- for a lesser team. Um, but look, I was asked this very question, you know, are the Lightning in a slump? Um, on Monday night doing a TV show, and I said my level of concern about that was, was about a three on a scale of ten, that uh, <laughs> they just lost a game with a third-string goalie, that they're still – they were – you know, they just got knocked out of first place, you know, after mm-hmm. an entire season without Nikita Kucherov, arguably their best goal scorer. Um, so my answer was no, I wasn't concerned. Having seen what I've seen now over the last, you know, couple of nights, yeah, a little bit more concern. This is a legitimate slump, but you know what? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll also add this. This is the time to have that slump. Um, exactly. Everybody's going to go through that. Uh, this is the time to have it. Uh, you don't want to have it at the end of the year, and you certainly don't want to have it uh, in the first round of the playoffs, uh, you no. know, when you face a, a tough team. They face a couple of teams that play them pretty well. You know, Detroit, for, for, the, you know, for all their lacking ways, uh, for what they lack, tend to play teams pretty tough not just Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. but um, they tend to play teams pretty tough. We know Columbus plays them tough. On the road, they're going to play right. them tougher. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the, the Lightning have run into a little bit of some headwinds here. Um, am I worried about them? No, I, I'm not. Um, again, this team is going to be just fine. Uh, I'm anxious to see what the first-round matchup is for them in the playoffs. It's likely going to be a favorable one for them. Uh, I think they'll be fine. Will they, will they, you know, face some adversity uh, when they get uh, deeper into the playoffs? Quite likely. And, uh, yes. and how they handle that adversity, uh, they, they've, got to low, they've got to know right now that they can't just throw their sticks, and, uh, sticks out there and, and expect to just right. win every night. Mm-hmm. I don't think they do. 
I think they know that they've got to play a little bit better. Right now they're not playing their best hockey, but uh, they've played their best and better than most teams uh, throughout the course of the season. So uh, I'm not concerned really with them at all. Well, I, uh, I agree with you. When you lose, uh, when you lose, what, four out of five, but more importantly, uh, uh, you got all the way down to the fourth line on Sunday night before they actually came away and got away with that win. Um, you know, they're going all the way down, up and down the line, one, two, three, four, uh, and haven't been able to get any kind of consistency over the last two and a half weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I like the fact that John Cooper has, uh, has basically stuck with his game plan. Um, you know, roll those four lines, uh, play the defensive lines first against the tougher teams, you know, the tougher lines, uh, the scoring lines. He's, he's got a good program. He's got a good philosophy, and he knows exactly what his team can do. When the execution is there, they're fine. They've been a little bit sloppy in their own end, a little bit sloppy in the regroup. Yep. Um, they, you know, they've, they've given up some goals. It happens, you know. I, I, but, again, mm-hmm. I'm not worried. Um you know, I think there is one thing that that you can that you got to watch out for, though, and 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 this goes not just for Tampa; it certainly goes for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it goes for a couple of other teams too. Um, not so much in the Eastern Division, um, but maybe in the West a little bit. The fact that you've been on top here uh, and, and kind of you know had things your way, certainly in Tampa and Toronto, that doesn't mean a whole lot because you're not facing a great deal of, you know, uh, you're facing basically the same teams over and over again. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you know exactly what you need to do to win those games, beat Mm -hmm. those teams. I know in Toronto they feel great about the fact that, you know, the Maple Leafs uh, uh, are in first place and they got their stranglehold on first. And it's like, okay, yeah, in in a, you know, relatively weak division, that's a a great thing. Uh, We're going to know what these teams are really made of when when they get to the playoffs. And the same is true. Uh, for Tampa, we'll, we'll find out what they're made of when they get mm-hmm. to the playoffs. Just like we'll find out what uh, Toronto's made of. I think you can feel a little bit better about you know Boston and some other teams uh, just in the East. You know the Islanders, I think, are legit. Uh, I wouldn't question their place. Um, but even uh, you know even Vegas, you know, I, I would as good as they are. You know, I wouldn't be so. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I'd be ready to say that they're going to breeze through the playoffs based on what the way they've looked here. No in the regular season. I don't think you can do that just yet. Roger, I have to say, uh, as much as you're concerned with the Lightning, you got to be a lot more concerned with the of your Flyers. Everybody had great anticipation for what the Flyers are going to do, and they are really, really struggling. Well, they are, Don, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's really a shock. Uh, they got off to a great start, and I can remember talking about it at the beginning of the season, uh, with you know Tom Lemaine and others that hey they're so they're so deep uh, on the uh, their talent um, that the talent has gone away and obviously Carter Hart has had his problems. The only encouraging uh, thing about it is that uh, they at least are keeping the games close now, whereas that mm-hmm. one game I think what was it eight nine nothing. And it was just like uh, nobody that was, could that was stop the Ra- it. That was the Rangers. Yeah, right. exactly. And they had trouble with the Rangers back-to-back. Uh, but they do, and, and all the uh, experts feel the same way. They need um, at least one good defenseman. And uh, they've tried to do some lineup changes. And, uh, you know, they've got to get Carter Hart back uh, with his confidence. 
And, uh, you know, I, I was looking at uh, the, well, the Phillies are, are doing a good job on the Mets today. And I'm looking at uh, uh, Reese Hoskins, who started out a couple of years ago great. And then with Gabe Kabler to take away that uh, uppercut mm-hmm. swing, constantly uppercut, and it just destroyed him. Now he's come back and he's going to all fields. Well, I think that relates to Carter Hart. He's got to get his confidence back mm-hmm. and uh, work, get a better defense, and I think that would help straighten them out. Guys, I think one of the problems in Philadelphia is, I think it's pretty simple, and I, I don't think they, first of all, I, I, like like you, Roger, and, and Don, I think everybody, I think we all expected the Flyers to take a big step forward this year, certainly be a playoff mm-hmm. team in that division. Uh, I didn't expect them to win the division. I thought a you know, second-place finish would be really good for them. I uh, thought maybe they were a third or fourth-place team, but they're proven to be a little bit less than that. Um, I wouldn't put a whole lot of the blame on Carter Hart. I, I think he's doing his best. Uh, the, the, to me, the problems are right in front of him. Uh, as you said, Roger, they need a defenseman. And I think something that may have been uh, – I don't know about how it was internally, but, but externally, you know, fan base, uh, media – uh, right. I don't think they calculated the the impact of the loss of Matt Niskanen uh, to that defense core. Um, suddenly you're leaning a little bit more on guys that uh, maybe you, you, you weren't just quite ready to lean on as much. Look, they've got some pretty good players there, no doubt about it. I love Braun. I love Pro, Provorov. But um, Matt Niskanen was – I think they found out that he, he was the glue back there. And missing him – I think it's hurt this team a great deal. Uh, the, the, to me, the problems are primarily on the defensive end. Um, they can still score, not scoring as well as they can, but I, but I still think they're good there. Um, they're still tough at times. Goaltending, I think, is still pretty solid. Uh, people want to beat up on Carter Hart, but I think the problem is right in front of him. He just doesn't have as much uh, help yep. on the defensive end as, as he needs right now. Well, you're exactly right. I think right, that's right. a perfect, perfect example with the Lightning because if you look at last year or the entire playoffs, it, it, they really came from the back front. It was defense to forwards. It was not, you know, Victor Hedman was the best player in the whole, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs last year, mm-hmm. but he just put it all together. He was the glue. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, I, I'll say this, and I think he's played fairly well. He's played his game. Ivan Provorov, I think, has been, been Ivan Provorov. The problem is he needs to take a step forward, and I don't know that we've seen it this year. Um, I think that was something that the Flyers were expecting is for Provorov to take another step forward, uh, truly become, you know, a, a Norris candidate, and I don't know that it's happened. And uh, so, and, and Gostas Bear is, you know, he's kind of been in and out of the lineup. Um, every once in a while he makes a great play. Um, but more often than not, I think, unfortunately for him, you know, he's kind of chasing the play a little bit. Um, I think they've got to decide exactly how they want him to play. Is he going to be offensive-minded? Is he going to stay, stay back at home? What's he going to do? I think they need to make some decisions there. But there's no question they need a defensive defenseman to come in and uh, and help bail them out a little bit. If they can get that, the sooner they can. I'm a little bit surprised they haven't made, it, made a move just yet. I would have liked to have seen him make that move ahead of the trade deadline to get as much out of that player as you can, um, you know, down the stretch here to give yourself a shot at getting back into this thing. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. They can still get there, but um, they need some work. There's no doubt. Tommy. 
I agree with you about that, Roy, because they got to get some work in there. But you know, you know, but you got to give John Cooper a lot of credit right now. You know, starting this season losing losing Cooch, and it's just like it's like the oil or machine. John knows where to put the parts in, and the machine does not miss a beat. But right now they're going through a mini slump, and every team in any sport goes through goes through a couple slumps. You just want to get out of that slump starting tomorrow night in Columbus to get it going again. You know, and I, I feel got full confidence, and, you know, this reminds me, Don and Roger and Frank, of the Flyers of 75. They went through that slump in February. I was going to catch them, and I remember going down and watching spring training in 75. The Flyers was, were tied with the Islanders. When I came back home, the Flyers were 10 points over the Islanders. This reminds me of the same thing. I think the Lightning still got potential winning cup. Another cup right now. It's just uh, we're getting Cooch back, and you get all these other PCNs, all the experience. This, this team is better now than it was last year. Nobody expected Lightning to win a cup last year, but, but right now they, I think we're we're going to get cup number two. A parade, not a boat parade, but a parade down the water channel side. <laughs> How's that sound, right? <laughs> well, it'd be nice if they could actually, yeah, if they can win. It'd be good. Look, I, I, I don't know that they're the best. It's, it's too hard to really gauge who the best team in the league is. Oh yeah, oh because yeah. Because Tampa hasn't played Boston. They haven't played. They haven't played Philadelphia or the Rangers, or they certainly it's, haven't played the Islanders or Toronto. You know, they haven't played Montreal. They haven't played Vegas. So it's hard to know. But um, look, right. they're good enough to win another cup, no question about it. Mm-hmm. And, Tommy, you're right. Uh, John Cooper deserves a lot of credit for uh, the job he's done this year, considering the losses he's had. However, I think the greater credit needs to go to the organization as a whole for the right. system they've put together. They've put together mm-hmm. a system whereby they can bring in a young rookie who's never played in the league before, like Ross Colton, yes. like they've done this year, mm-hmm. and he just automatically fits into the scheme because they've got the their guys are playing the same scheme down in the minor leagues in the AHL as they are in the NHL. So it's a seamless yes. transition. Basically, you plug a guy in, third line, fourth line, even even if you want to put him on the first line or second line, and he can handle the job because he knows exactly what his responsibilities are, particularly mm-hmm. in the defensive zone, and knows exactly what the scheme is. It's not like he's learning a whole new system. Very much mm-hmm. like what the St. Louis Cardinals have done for years in baseball – is develop yes. a system whereby everybody knows exactly how we're going to play the game. And they come in and it just makes for a seamless transition when these kids come in. To me, that's the secret sauce for the Tampa Bay Lightning. They do that, and I'm not sure many other teams do. A lot of other teams are trying to win at the AHL level. Uh, they've got a coach who runs a different scheme. For the Lightning, it's all mm-hmm. the same, and they are benefiting from it. You're going to see other teams start to do it because that's because believe me, this is no secret. They can bring somebody in and that, that nobody's ever heard of uh, a guy and give them you know 12, 14 minutes of ice time uh, in a big game against a good team, and he doesn't look out of place. And people go, "Wow, look at that! Look at how that young kid looks looks so good." He looks good because he's playing the same game that he played in the AHL for 35 games this year, and it's a seamless transition for him. That's to me that's right. the secret sauce behind the lightning success last year, this year, and uh, just in, in overall, really, in the previous couple of years. You know, we've seen Roger. stars develop as a result of all that, and it's mm-hmm. because of, exactly. uh, again, it's because of the way they developed the scheme. 
You know, the, what's interesting, yeah, well, thanks, Don. What's interesting is uh, talking about uh, that they haven't played uh, the Canadian teams. How about the fact that all the Canadian teams have been playing in Canada and what, Vancouver had 16 players with COVID? Yes. Isn't that unbelievable? Thank God they yeah, didn't I mean, come into the States. Yeah, they, they tried really hard to, to control it. But, hey, let's face it. I mean, right now, you, I mean, on the news today, uh, you learn that uh, uh, the dominant uh, uh, coronavirus uh, variant, I guess, is that U.K. variant. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it's now the dominant um, virus in the air in, in the states, and my guess is it may be the most dominant virus in Canada too. And it's a little bit more dangerous than the other one, and it's a little it's a lot easier to get. So um, mm. I think the league's done a good job of being diligent. Uh, but yep. these things, let's let's face it, this stuff's unavoidable, guys. And we saw it happen with the Washington Nationals; they're ready to go opening day, and then lo and behold. You know, here you got uh, five guys, and turns out to be fourteen guys uh, with with COVID. So um, it, it's a, it's a tough run. We're not out of this this uh, these woods yet, guys. Not even close. And it's just a reminder that um, you got to stay diligent. And if we want this, we want sports to continue. We've all got to remain mm-hmm. diligent. We got to keep following the rules. Right. Well, not the rules, but the but the guidelines and the guidance. Roy, I think going back to one of your earlier points, and when you talked about the Flyers and being able to plug in, or the uh, Lightning, I mean, being able to plug a player in uh, because he's played the same system. Well, a lot of folks listening wouldn't know who French Ricky is. French Ricky's idea of baseball was exactly that. He opened Vero Beach and Dodger Town down in Florida because he wanted everybody from the D level to major leagues to play exactly the same game in exactly the same way. And that's why they were so dominant for such a long period of time. And the Cardinals, where he was before he got to the Dodgers, did exactly the same thing, and they're still doing it. To your point, yeah. regardless of the sport, regardless of the sport, is that's the way you have to do it. Yeah, you're right, Don. And, and I'm surprised that more teams don't. You know, I don't know that. I mean, the Cubs have been doing it now for a few years, uh, and it's you know it's allowed them to at least stay competitive. Um, I know the Cardinals are doing it. The, the Royals still do it. Um, but for the most part, you know, there's, there's different approaches, uh, you know, at the highest minor league levels. Uh, and, and, and I think it's, to me, it's, it's not good. It's not good for your team. Everybody's got to play the same way. And when you do, I mean, when, when the Royals were good, really good, you know, they had their academy. And it was the same right. idea as, as Dodger Town of Vero Beach with the Dodgers. And, you know, why wouldn't you steal the ideas of Branch Rickey? I mean, obviously he's one, right. you know, arguably one of the most successful general managers in the history of our presidents, where, you know, in the history of the game. He was a team builder. And he, when you build a team, you know, the, the major league team is obviously the tip of the iceberg. But I think the strength comes from being able to plug in when you've got guys that get hurt. Because inevitably – you know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to lose. Uh, you're going to lose players, and uh, when you lose them, you got to be able to plug in. And if those guys are, really, you know, just able to just seamlessly get in, you know, get in there and and play the same game, uh, it's a lot more comfortable for them, and a lot more uh, a lot more chance for success overall with uh, with with the team in general. Roy, I think I think the Braves are like that today too, and. 
I, I'm a firm believer uh, that when the uh, Phillies hired Gabe Kabler, that was a big mistake. And also mm-hmm. Matt Klintak. They, and everybody agrees. Klintak did nothing in five years. Andy McPhail, why he's still there. Everybody wants to know where is he. I guess his contract, this is the last year and he'll be gone. But I look at the Braves, and if the, uh, the Phillies had done what the Braves did, and promote the AAA manager who had been Dusty Watham, who had been with them from uh, for years. Okay, all through the minors with all those players they were bringing up, just like Brian Snitaker. He they he came from AAA Gwinnett. I really think that when if you have that program and you just keep on moving it that way, like you were saying, but also promote from within the manager when somebody leaves or if they don't work out, I think you'll do much better uh, than just going out and hiring somebody that's in big into analytics. Roy, let me, let me jump in here, Roy, and say that uh, we got a man that has proven that with a number of different franchises, and maybe he has a better idea how you build each one of those franchises from nothing to a Stanley Cup champion. Scotty Bowman is on with us right now, and Scotty, we're talking about baseball. We're talking about baseball. We're talking about hockey. We're talking about but how you build, how you come into an organization, or how that organization feels about building from the beginning and getting you a Stanley Cup, or getting to a World Series, getting to a winning percentage. Well, it changes. uh, You know, every seems every decade there's a new way to build a team, and uh, of course in hockey it's always been. You know, you got to play offense and defense for sure. But now it's such a change. They change the the game, the style of the game, because they change the dimensions of the of the ice surface and uh, th- different subtle other changes. To they want to get scoring, and uh, now uh, the the fact is that the teams that are near the top have defensemen that are very mobile, and uh, you always needed to have a good defense. But nowadays. If if there's no mobility on your defensemen, it's, there's just too much defense, and uh, they play a lot tighter in their own end. They don't they don't worry about the points as much because they're further out. So they they have a five man defense that's locked in around. They they cover the scoring areas. So the three forwards they need help on the attack. They need they need defensemen that are in the zone that are mobile can move around. Uh, create offense and make it a, a more even five on five than three against five, and and that's that's the good teams have those type of guys. I mean, you probably got the ultimate guy in uh, with the Lightning because of uh, Hedman is so strong and he's such a good. Uh, he used to he, used, he started off he wasn't as uh, he wasn't as uh, two way as he is now, but you know he's such he's got such a, a big reach. He's improved his shot making he's dangerous he's like an extra forward on the ice and of course defensively he's 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 airtight right now scotty well, uh, if you hadn't jumped out yet maybe you'd have a question for sure maybe you'd like to talk to scotty before you had to run off to have dinner but uh are you still with us roy yeah hey, yeah sir. uh scotty uh we were talking about uh the flyers uh earlier tonight and um trying to kind of figure out, you know, what's happened there. Obviously, they're looking for a defenseman. You were just talking about, uh, about maybe uh, mobility on that spot. I was thinking, you know, maybe Ivan Provorov hasn't quite taken the step forward that they need him to. 
suggested that maybe Matt Niskanen has really missed more than they thought that would be the case. Uh, what, what's what's your thinking on the Flyers? What what has to happen there for that team to take the step forward? Because I think they've got a coach that's good enough to get them there. Um, but obviously this has been a bit of a dis- disappointment in terms of the way the season's gone for them. Well, you know, they looked so strong in the bubble last year. They looked to everybody that if you had to pick a half a dozen teams to, to really be near the top this year, they would have been everybody's choice. But there's a lot of factors that go into it. I, I think the biggest problem is, you know, they, they had a young goalie uh, that they've nurtured along. He's still young. And, uh, you know, things change. And, you know, when the player hasn't done it uh, more than maybe a year or two, it's it's a big risk. And, uh, you know, they, they just haven't got the solid goaltending that they've needed. I mean, they can't give up on the kid. He's He's been he's been lights out all the way up. But, you know, uh, now he's he's had a bit of a dip. So the goaltending is, is a big factor in this league because the players shoot so hard. And, and their defense looked like it was – the type of defense that would would you'd want in today's game because, like you mentioned, they had some really good offensive guys, uh, but then they've lost the defensive side of the game. So you couple that with the goaltending, and it, and it, you know they they've had to go out and 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 you know some of their veteran players, uh, and we see it we see it from time to time. Uh, it's it's a really fast game, and uh, when you get a little bit of age on you and you lose just a half a step. You pay for it, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's been – it's been a – I don't think you could put your finger on one situation and say uh, the goaltending did it alone. Uh, it, it's a combination of uh, last year so much success, this year starting off and, and having a, a tough time. And, 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 you know, if you look around, uh, those teams that they're up against, like, you know, you look Islanders, Washington – Pittsburgh, the Rangers have made some strides. They're still pretty young, but uh, you know it's it's changed the, di- the dynamics of the standings. And uh, you know you play the same teams all the time. You play them another uh, eight times, uh, seven seven opponents eight times. So it's it's everything about the season that isn't normal. That that's what mm-hmm. I would try to. I wouldn't I wouldn't try to look for too many answers because uh, hopefully next year you'll be back to normal. They're still not out of it. I mean, you know, when you got one thing with this, if they could ever turn it around and obviously have to play a lot better, uh, they must have games against teams because, you know, you're not going to worry about the teams behind you. You're not going to catch up to them. You don't have to catch up to them. But, you know, it would depend. You can't throw in the towel with still a little less than a third of the season, you know, a third of the season. Mm -hmm. Would it would have been a, about a week ago. So, I mean, you know, they'd have to go on a streak. That there's no question. But you play one game at a time, and that's what I would say. Yeah, so I'll leave you guys with this, guy. Scotty. That's a real good point. Everything you said there. Uh, you know, and, and I think maybe sometimes you overlook the fact that uh, uh, that, that uh, it's never easy when uh, one night you're playing Washington, then you got Pittsburgh, then you got Boston. Uh, then you got the mm-hmm. Islanders, and you know, because the Rangers can fill it up as well. So, uh, I, I think they're in the toughest division, and uh, maybe you got to factor that in too, for sure. So, and guys, you thanks have for having me, Scotty. An honor yeah. talking with you, of course, as always. Yes, uh, Tommy. Everybody, take care. We'll do it again next week, and uh, we'll have the Masters talk thanks, as well. Yeah, have yeah. a oh, great week, right. Roy. Thanks, take care. Roy. Be yep. Tommy, Tommy, you're up next. 
Well, Scotty, how you doing tonight? I miss, you know, the one thing I always miss around, I miss around the arena is you, you coming down in the, in the media dining room. We always sit down and talk. You always have a smile on your face, and I, and I miss you, Scotty, from that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been a different season, and I nearly got up to some games when they started to. Uh, I did. I oh. was able to call call the people, but you know, I'm now I'm now I'm I'm in a situation where the building I live in in Sarasota. They're doing repairs, and uh, they could only oh. do it during the summer months, and uh, they needed a little more time this year. So I'm leaving now within the next few days to go back up north. Oh. I, I would like to stay here, especially with uh, the crowd now being allowed to, to get into the building. And I'm, right. I'm sure that if things get better, that, that might even increase as well. And the playoffs, well, we are five, six weeks away from the playoffs. But oh, I miss it. I miss it, but I... I'm. Uh, I watch a lot of games. I'm, I'm watching a game right now uh, between Montreal and Toronto. But you know, you mm. have to pick and choose your games. There's so many every every night. There's <laughs> five or six games. You know. <laughs> Scotty, I, I, I miss you having down at the Emily Green. I really miss you down. Yeah, I don't That's think they're sitting. Yeah, I don't think they're going in the. I understand they they have accommodation for a lot of the uh, out of town scouts, but they. They they sit in seats rather than the press box because of the protocols of the of the home mm-hmm. teams and uh, the testing. Every they, they don't want to mix people that are coming from the outside with the group that's you know contained because it's a big right. still it's not a bubble but it is a bubble uh, in in some situations because mm-hmm. you know there's only a certain amount of players and and staff that uh, that uh, they just don't want them moving around and. And, and seeing a lot of a lot of people that could have the the, the, the virus, you know. Right, Roger, I'm you're up. Well, you know, Scotty, I, the uh, I'm just thinking back over the years on the many teams that uh, you coached and the success that uh, you had uh, with all of them. Uh, was there one team that was, just stands out in your mind that was special? Uh, not only talent-wise, but uh, and maybe it didn't even win a Stanley Cup, but that it, there was something special about that team. Well, when I started my career with an expansion uh, of the NHL, we we had a unique uh, team that could really play good defense. But that's one that's a long time ago, more than 50 years ago. But uh, in the Montreal situation, when I was there in the 70s. We had three years in a row. Now, it's hard to pick one team over the other because I would say 90% of the players were there for the three years. But there was one year in particular, the 76-77 team. We we had nine Hall of Fame players that played in those three years. But uh, they were a team that lost eight games out of the regular season. We didn't have overtime, of course. and We didn't have any shootouts. But we, we went 68-12. and 12. And we only lost one game at home at a forty at a forty at an eighty game schedule, and then we lost uh, only we went twelve and two in the playoffs. So, but the other two years before that, uh, we had lost uh, one year eleven games and the other year ten. So you know I, I wouldn't I can't remember everything about those three years, but the team that lost eight games and got one hundred and thirty two points, which is still uh, you know still a, a point record. And even though they play uh, 82 games, and they also have shootouts and uh, overtime to pick up points, 
But that team had a lot going for it. We we had uh, three Hall of Fame defensemen out of the four or five that played regular, and we had a Hall of Fame goaltender, and we had an entire line of Hall of Fame players, and we had the top defensive player in the league. That uh, you know, so we, we had everything for, for for a winning combination. But you know, there was no cap. You didn't have to worry about the, the players weren't, of course, weren't signing contracts like they are today. But the money issue was not as big an issue as it is now so you could pretty well hold on to your team and uh, and, and you know you just had to make sure you scouted young players to, to have players coming up but, uh, through through over uh, through age age problems but we had a young team we the team was rebuilt in the early 70s so we're going, we're talking 76 wow. and i would say probably uh, half the team was just at the perfect age of maybe 25 and that makes a big difference, you know. Well, I remember yeah, yeah, when you yeah. had the uh, the Blues in '67 with the six expansion teams, and it was the Blues and the Flyers uh, pretty much at the uh, uh, top of the uh, uh, at the top of the of the pot of the uh, list uh, early on, wasn't it? You, you and Keith Allen with the Flyers were uh, the coaches, great coaches. Yeah, the Flyers uh, had a great start to the expansion you know they they um, I don't know they just drafted players that fit in very well and uh, you know when you think about the the Flyers in those days I mean they started in 67 and and some of the players they got the first year and it wasn't a lot of NHL players but they developed them I mean they went they went to the finals and, and won two in a row when you imagine imagine winning uh, the, the seasons, the the, the 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 division started '67, and in '74, '75, mm-hmm. eight years, eight seasons later, they win the Stanley Cup. And I I don't think anybody has ever uh, thought about that. I mean, the Islanders did it right. a little bit later when they, they you know they started in '72 and they won it in in, in '80. But boy, oh boy, uh, to to build an expansion team like the Philadelphia Flyers and the Islanders did. And then we got teams now that haven't won, haven't won Toronto. Toronto's been a good franchise for a long time, but, you know, that damn cup is so elusive. And that's why uh, the Lightning, uh, quite, a, quite a feat to have two cups on your mantle, you know, and, and just starting, you know, whatever it was, uh, I don't know, 25 years ago, I guess. That's, right. that's pretty good, mm-hmm. too, you know. Scotty, following up on Roger's question, uh, as you as you moved from franchise to franchise and you got all the way to the Stanley Cup, what was the first thing when you talked to the general manager and you decided this was the team you were going to take over, is there a common thread to what you did when you walked in the, first, the very first uh, day or first week or first thought of how you were going to go with that franchise? Well, you, you know, in those days, it was the draft was the big. It, it's still so huge. I mean, uh, you know, you, you have to you have to get players from different ways, but you can't just rely on the draft. You have to get free agents. But I think that's the big uh, thing with the Lightning that this team in ten years, if you look at the drafting, but you also look at the free agent signing, and you, the, the big thing is if you look at the draft and you see players that are not drafted in the top five or six become stars. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, having a goaltender like they did, uh, Kucherov is not playing right now, 
getting him, getting Braden Point. These are these are potentially, uh, eventually, if they have continued success, they could end up Hall of Fame players, and and that's just amazing, you know. Roger, I think you're right about that. Well, you're right about that, Tommy. Did you do you have a uh, a question? I didn't want to jump in on you. No, I was just going to say hi, Scotty. Has this been Scotty? What do you yeah. think about the officiating this year? It's just no, there's it, uh-huh. so much ticky tacky. About the official well, right now. They've done a lot of uh, research, and I, I guess my, my pet peeve, if I have, I mean, I have a few of them, but probably <laughs> the, the penalties that are not involved in the play, sort of, um, and it's and they're mostly stick fouls, and I, I don't mm-hmm. know if it's that easy or that difficult to change the culture of players, but you know, it seemed to be they wanted to eliminate any injuries to the hands. So they started with slashing and hooking, and now it seems, though, if you put your stick anywhere anywhere that on the ice, the puck is on the ice, but if you start if you start putting your stick in areas of, uh, around the body, it seems they just, there's no, there's no bend. Like, it's, it doesn't matter what happens to the puck. It doesn't matter if the play is ended. It's a penalty, and uh, that's wow. something that's, the players have have got to really work on because it's it's not an easy game to play at a high speed with your stick on the ice. You know when you you notice players when they skate, they usually skate with with their stick uh, off the ice, and of course yeah. uh, sometimes it doesn't get down. It doesn't get down down in time to, uh, and that's the one area is those type of penalties. Uh, there's a rash of uh, uh, the hooking. I can understand because. You know they often try to hook the stick and hook the hands, mm-hmm. but it's it's just a little a little tap, or you try to lift a guy's stick, and all of a sudden he moves it, and then end it ends up that you you went over the top of it, and uh, that is something that uh, I know they were worried about injuries to the uh, to the hands and things like that, but it's kind of extended now, and, and that's something mm-hmm. that's hard to figure out, you know. But I mean, it's you could always say one thing though. No matter how they call it, it is the same for both teams. You know, that's, yeah, that's right. That's the bottom. That's the bottom line, really. You know, <laughs> right. That's right. Roger. Oh. Well, hopefully that's the uh, the way it is. You know, you don't want to get a situation like uh, what was it Nashville, uh, where the uh, the referee said always he was going to get the uh, the first uh, penalty against. I think it was Nashville. This is like a couple of weeks ago, so. Unfortunately, that was on a live mic, and he got he got uh, the people heard him say that. So those things happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's, uh, it's a it's a it's a kind of a game. It's not easy to officiate. There are two referees now. There are two linesmen, and uh, it's, it's very similar. I mean, if if you're if you're a citizen and you get in a, in a in any kind of a disagreement or a hassle. With a with a, a law law a law enforcement officer, you're going to get into trouble. I mean, you, there's right. there's no way about it. I mean, you know, uh, they they have decisions to make, and you have to abide by it. It's sort of like that in, in hockey as well. And you know, I've seen it happen on numerous occasions. If if a player is continually complaining or continually giving a referee a more difficult time. He's going to pay a price. I mean, it's it's human nature. You know, it's not mm-hmm. it's not rocket science. I mean, we know that the law enforcement 
people don't a lot of times have tough decisions and uh, at the same time you have to respect them and uh, that's, that's right. the same thing with the officiating if you if you start and yeah you know a lot, a lot of times a lot of times people uh, do things and are sorry for it but at the same time uh, I I felt bad for this official because you know um I, I don't I don't think he was really going out of, out of order when he somebody something must have happened in that game mm-hmm. and unfortunately you know when something goes public you, you can't you can't uh, you know you can't deny that you have to take action and that that was a most unfortunate situation for an official that had been a decent official for probably the uh, the worst part of it though he was very close to retiring he was in his late 40s or Ooh. early 50s Maybe 52, I think, but he was gonna. Right. He only had four weeks to go, and uh, mm. that was the tough. That was the tough part of it. He wasn't gonna officiate past the the, the beginning of April, and uh, uh, you know. But I, I just hope he gets over it, and we because it's, it's something else will happen in the meantime. You know. Oh, well, Scotty, I want to thank you so much for for joining us as always. Uh, I'd like to say one word about Lindquist, though, because there was a couple of major articles written this week about uh, in his thoughts yeah. uh, after a long period of time with the Rangers and trying to go oh, yeah. to Washington and then having the heart problem. And he really, uh, emotionally, it must be really uh, very, very hard for him. So maybe a comment you'd like to make about that. Well, he was a, is a Hall of Fame type goalie, uh, you know, um, came close in, in the one time he got to the finals, and he he took the team on his back. Really, he, he was an outstanding goalie, um, always in top condition. Um, you know, it would have been a bit of icing on the cake for him because Washington is one of the contenders, along with right. probably this year another eight or nine. But at the same mm-hmm. time. You, you wish that you, I, the most important thing is is it looks like the, the, if there was a, a problem, it was taken care of, and we know that's the most important thing. But he uh, was a very good hockey citizen and, a, and an excellent goaltender. Like I said yeah. before, probably going to be a Hall of Fame goalie if you look at his record. And uh, mm-hmm. you know he, he took that franchise and 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 made it uh, a real contender and. All, all the more uh, congratulations to him. It's just unfortunate, you know. But the good news is, it seems that his health is restored now, and that's more important right. than anything. Yeah. Scotty, thank you so very, very much. It's always yes. a pleasure. Uh, I'll tell you, okay. you're a great addition to our show, and hope you'll join us a few times yeah, we'll during the season. Okay. Bye for now, Frank. Bye. Uh, Bye. Thank you. Thank Take care, Tom. Scotty. Thank it's you, Scotty. Thank you so much. You God bless. Bye. Well, Frank, we're going to switch from hockey, which uh, baseball. We now we're going to go to football, and uh, you know our niche guest up better than anybody else. So why don't you introduce Mr. Dietz? All right. Well, let's say that uh, Mr. Dietz is above above all is a, a man above reproach, a man that uh, of stature, uh, a man who I've known for many years and uh, mm-hmm. have grown to, to know him as part of our our extended family. Uh, Brett was very, very uh, close with my uh, son Bob, and uh, that's how I got to meet him. But uh, in on the field um, at uh, the Arena Football League at Tampa, he was without a doubt the premier quarterback. And now he's moved on since the league is, is no longer. At, he's moved on to college football, 
started as an assistant coach at DePaul University, and now is the head coach at DePaul University. Um, and in his freshman year uh, is something that nobody does. He's undefeated. Brad, how are you doing wow. tonight? Good. How are you guys? We're Good. doing great. What's going great on, to Brett? have you with us. Brett, how are you doing? It's time to hear What's from you going guys. on, my friend? <laughs> it's been a while. Yes, it has. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Don, when I was uh, talking to Brett the other night, uh, I mentioned something I had seen on Facebook. I said, you know, who, who's the uh, pitcher you have in there? He, he told me it was his son. I remember when his son <laughs> wasn't just, it was just, it wasn't even born yet. And uh, that's, uh, he's grown mm-hmm. up. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's just goes to show um, when, when, we're, when he was here in, in Tampa, you had the head coach and a coach that, that told you what you were going to do. Uh, and Brett learned an awful lot. Um, he, mm-hmm. He's an excellent uh, passer. Uh, he's, he's an excellent quarterback. And uh, he's got these young men um, on um, a bug doing uh, 100 miles an hour. So um, it, uh, it's really, uh, really fun to see uh, him and his, his professional uh, growth. Oh, we got yeah, to say one uh, other thing. One yeah, other thing is that uh, his lovely wife, Dina, uh, was promoted to principal of her school last year. Oh, wow. Got to yep. Gotta pay the tax. Uh, yeah, my wife <laughs> got a double dip. And, got uh, a double dip, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My wife became the principal in August, and then I became a head coach uh, the next January. Um, then uh, about seven days after I was announced as a head coach um, at DePaul, uh, my daughter was born. So um, January of 2020 was a really, really good month for us. Um, I was inducted into my high school Hall of Fame. Um, I've got promoted to head coach, and uh, – the birth of my daughter all happened uh, really within the first uh, 12 days of January. So um, first part of 2020 was really the good. Pandemic. Then, yeah. Before the, the pandemic. Before the pandemic, was, Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. downhill after that. But, you know, it's been a challenge being a, a first-year head coach in a pandemic, but um, I always try to, to look at the positive side of things and mm-hmm. – um, you know, the the advantage I think I had is, you know, I was, as a first-year head coach, you're always trying to figure out things on your own now. You know, you, you've been part of programs. I've been a part of a lot of great organizations, including the Tampa Bay Storm. And um, each little place I've been, I've tried to take good things uh, that we've done that I really liked and uh, tried to avoid the things that I didn't like. So, um, you know, as a first-year head coach, you always feel like you're behind the eight ball. But then when the pandemic hit, I felt like the pandemic really put every program kind of on the same level because everybody was trying to figure out things uh, for the first time. So um, I almost think that it, it kind of helped um, our team and myself um, kind of transition through the pandemic. Um, so um, just to give you guys an idea, um, a lot of Division three, almost all the teams in Division three did not play this fall. Um, so we kind of mm-hmm. followed what uh, the Ivy League did. Um, so the Ivy League did not play, so we didn't play. Um, we canceled our season probably late uh, July, early August. Uh, we decided we weren't going to play. Um, but we, we pushed forward for a spring season. So 
Um, we were we were one of these uh, teams that got to play this spring, and in fact, there's there's a lot of Division three teams, uh, a lot of NAIA teams, and uh, Division two leagues that are are playing this spring, um, as well as some Division one FCS schools are, are playing as well. Um, so uh, this is almost a bigger time for football. Maybe not the 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 BCS uh, time, and it was they still played in the fall, but really every other division decided to play in the spring. So. Uh, but we were all going to be limited, so we were able to, to schedule three games. We scheduled two teams um, in our conference and uh, one team out of our conference. And and uh, I was really proud of our guys. We we reported in January, um, even though we weren't going to play until March. But we knew reporting in January we'd have to to do some quarantining and do some testing, and we wanted to leave a little bit of buffer time in case um, we had a, a case or two on our team, and we had to quarantine the, either a group of guys or the entire team, which I'm happy to report we, we never had to quarantine the entire team. Um, any contact tracing was just uh, little sections of our team, um, and it was all pretty much at the very beginning. So um, we didn't have anybody test positive uh, during our three-game season, and um, it was really good. I, I, I thought our guys really attacked it and, and treated it like it was a normal fall. And uh, I know not every program did that. I know not every program uh, treated it like that, but, but we certainly uh, treated it like we were full-blown in the fall, like preparing and game planning and, and everything like that. So um, it, it really helped. We had a big group of seniors. If, if we would have played this fall, we would have had a group of 30 seniors, uh, which is a lot for a football team. Um, I don't care if you're in high school or college or whatnot. Um, right. And we had a couple guys graduate early. Uh, a couple guys uh, decided not to play just because they didn't know what it was going to be like. And uh, But we ended up having 24 seniors that played. And uh, I was proud of the rest of our team. We, we treated it like we were playing the Super Bowl every single week, and uh, our results Jeez. showed for it. So um, each game we kind of got up by double digits and and uh, slowly pressed the gas the rest of the way home, and, and we're able to go 3-0. and out. So... Uh, super proud of our team, and it, it's going to be a, a great launching point for us heading into this spring. Or, sorry, into this uh, yeah. fall. You know, it's, wow. it's easy to, no matter what level, go all the way back to junior high school. And, and when you talk about football, you always start talking about the quarterback, the most important position, and you played quarterback yourself. But what were some of the things that uh, everybody wants to have a great quarterback? But uh, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you, when you're out recruiting, Right now, I don't know what the makeup of your team is, but what are you looking for? You look for offensive linemen, you look for defensive linemen, you look for defensive backs. It's easy to say quarterbacks. What well, quarterbacks aren't everywhere? Yeah, we we we, we got you. Got to recruit every position. Um, and, and since we don't have scholarships because we're a Division three school, um, right. you know we we can't always say, hey, we want our left tackles to be six four, three hundred pounds. You know, uh, you're really looking for the best students because i got to take a look at grades first. Um, if a kid has a 2.5 GPA, it doesn't matter how good he is. I can't get him into school. So um, we definitely look at grades first and then, um, you know, look at obviously the kid's film and, and the kid's ability and really kind of ask him what he wants because, honestly, if we get a kid in and he doesn't share the same values of our school or our program – then the kid's not going to be happy and he's ultimately not going to stay. So we're going to invest some time in somebody that's not going to stay. So it's really as much as, as a, as a recruit is looking for the right match for the right program. Uh, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're working, we're looking to recruit and put our time into the kids that we think are going to be successful at the paw. Um, and that can come from any, any race, any socioeconomic status. 
Um, you know, it, it's not that we're just looking for uh, rich kids or poor kids or anything like that. We're, we're looking for that. That really doesn't matter. But we're looking for for guys that want to are motivated in the classroom um, and want to go on and be a productive member of society. Um, and understand that that school is the most important thing, but football is also very important to them and their and their experience um, in college. And those are the kids we we really do a good job with. So obviously, if we're, we're lacking quarterbacks or something, we're going to go out and recruit a few more quarterbacks. Um, and then it's, it's where you spend your time and where you spend your energy. Um, and I think you'll see the results from there. So our quarterback next year is going to be a fifth year senior. Uh, so this year we went out and made sure we got a quarterback that we know can play, can play our style of football. Uh, but beyond that, we know can be a great leader. And I think we found a kid right here in Indianapolis that um, he's a state champion um, right here um, and just a tremendous leader, a great playmaker, can run the ball, can throw the ball, um, throws it very accurately. Um, the downside to him, he's, he's 5'11", 6 foot. So, None of the big-time D2s around here and none of the, the D1s want to touch him because of his height at quarterback. Um, so those are the guys that we kind of feast on as, as guys that really have the skills to play at a higher level but maybe not have the size. Um, and quarterback's a different position, too, because um, it's a hard position um, for quarterbacks to get recruited because every school doesn't want to have 10 or 12 quarterbacks like you do offensive linemen. You know, each program wants to have 15 to 20 offensive linemen. Um where those reps at quarterback are so important, you can't have 10 quarterbacks because they're going to take too many reps away from each other. So um, quarterbacks are a little bit more, um, those spots are a little bit more coveted. um, And we definitely see that kind of in the after effects because we can, we can get some pretty good quarterbacks at our level. Roger, you know, you know, coach, I have a couple of things. Number one in Indianapolis, you've had a very busy couple of weeks uh, with the uh, NCAA tournament. And then I heard a uh, discussion uh, today about schools like yours and Villanova that are not the big, big time uh, football uh, schools. And I was spent a lot of time around the College of New Jersey and Eric Hamilton. And, of course, Don knows them very well. uh, uh, Eric was there for, what, uh, 25-plus years. And I uh, went to high school, graduated with Andy Talley. And I meant to say this last week. Uh, he did win a D- Division One AA uh, or you know uh, national championship, but Andy's going into the College Football Hall of Fame, and I uh, got out or reached out to him uh, when it was announced a couple of weeks ago. But this discussion I heard today is perfect about what what you're doing because of these schools like yours, Villanova, uh, Georgetown, that do not emphasize football and their big time basketball. And uh, you're right. I mean, basketball, they can give uh, scholarships. Football, they can't. My daughter and my my son-in-law played at Bucknell, and my daughter did a lot of the video when she was at uh, Bucknell. Uh, so, uh, you know, I know what you go through. But, yeah, if you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, I mean, you know, football's one level, basketball's another at your school. Yeah. Um, you know, we open up next year with Butler. Um, and Butler's in a very similar situation uh, to Villanova, and, and uh, you know, Butler is the exact same thing. Um, you know, I, I coach at the other DePaul. You know, we're in Division Three. You're thinking of the DePaul up in Chicago. Uh, oh, we're yeah, DePaul okay. in Indiana. So we're a little bit yeah, different, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, we got a lot of friends at Butler, and, and some of my best friends are coaching at Butler, and we just happen to open up with them next year. But, 
you're exactly wow. right. So it's a little bit of a beauty and the beast of um, they can tend to get they, they tend to get the exact same athletes or, or type, exact similar type of athlete, athletes that we get. The difference is they got a little bit bigger pool because they do have that Division One basketball. So they do have a little bit of the facilities kind of coincide. So, you know, if if they go to my school, you know, we're going to have Division Three facilities. We have good Division Three facilities, but they're still Division Three facilities where you go to a, walk on to a school like uh, for football, even though you're not a scholarship athlete, but you're walking past scholarship basketball athletes, you may lift in the same weight room as the basketball team. Um, they certainly have a Division One locker room. Um, and they have a Division One campus. So, uh, you know, the Villanovas, the Butlers, the Georgetowns, we're actually in a lot of recruiting battles. Actually, University of Dayton is the exact same way. Um, University of San Diego, um, Drake is in that league too. Um, very similar. Valpo is another Division One basketball school. It's, it's uh, 1AA, not scholarship football. Um, so when they – they're very smart with it. So they'll, they'll, uh, they'll bring their official visits for football – and they'll schedule it around home basketball games, right? So um, you may have a, a Division three or a 1AA non-scholarship football recruit coming on campus, but, you know, they're going to tie it around a Big East basketball game, right? So it may be Butler and Villanova right. maybe playing on ESPN mm-hmm. that night. Um, but all of a sudden you're a recruit and you're sitting in the stands and your buddies can watch it on ESPN. I mean, it's going to feel like you're Division one, even though the football is not Division one. So I still think they have a little bit of an advantage over us, but, they're recruiting a lot of the same guys. Um, they use a lot of the same tactics and strategies as far as, you know, selling the academics because at the end of the day, you don't have a scholarship to hold over their head that if you don't give them a really good experience, they're just going to quit on you and walk away because um, there, there's no scholarship holding them there. So um, I actually really like that because um, you guys may be thinking, man, that must really stink that you don't have any scholarship or football money to give them. But I got a lot of buddies in Division One coaching, and they have certain guys on the team that, that have already quit on them, that have quit on them two years ago. Um, and a lot of a roster, yeah. maybe 10, 10 guys that they know quit, like they give no effort, but they're not going to quit because they need that scholarship money to pay for their education. So they literally Coach, just do I want to the thank minimum you very, of, I want to thank you very, very much we, once again. And I'll tell you, maybe you know, I don't want to frank hey, you talking about it or not, but as we get closer to uh, as we get closer to the season, I hope you'll come back and, and join us and sort of give us an update as you go into the yeah. beginning of your first real season, and we'll see well, how dude. it all works out. Thank you hey, so God, much. I have to say, Don, thanks, Coach. Coach, we'll, to break. Be follow- we'll be following you. Okay, believe me. And it's D E P A W. Is that right? D E P A U W. P A U W. Without the L, he it's W Hey, Brett, how's the golf game going? Mr. Brett, how's your golf game? It's prime weather for golf up here, so we're getting it rolling, Tommy. Okay, we have to get on. Remember the old days of Tampa Bay golf down there? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm about here. a free handicap right now. So. Okay. Ooh. Good luck, Coach. Ooh, Thank you so much. Away, Brett. Thank you. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Tommy, Thanks, save Brett. the golf for next time. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We talked we talk we'll talk baseball the first half hour. Uh, we talked with Scotty Fullman, uh, just a great segment a few minutes ago, and now mm-hmm. it's what he's doing out the floor. So now we're going to switch back to hockey for a minute because we talked a little bit about the Flyers in the first half hour, second half hour of the show. Mm-hmm. Tom Lemaine is going to join us again, uh, one of the great sportscasters of the Philadelphia area. 
works also very closely with the Philadelphia Flyers, and uh, everybody has their opinion about what's happening with the Flyers, but let's go to somebody uh, in the press box yes. that really knows something. Tom LeMaine, welcome back. What, what news do you have for us? Not a whole lot. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a tough – it is – this is the toughest Flyers team to figure out that I can ever remember. I mean, they'll play a perfect second period, and then they'll just fall off the table in the third period. They can't get off to a good start. And uh, it's not for lack of effort, and, and but they're playing close to the edge. They're not getting blown out a lot. As a matter of fact, most of their games are very close which means the Flyers can't afford to make one mistake because every mistake they may make ends up being causing them a problem. And uh, that's the way that that's the way this, uh, this season has gone so far. I mean, uh, they just, uh, they're, they, they're, I mentioned this the other day somewhere else that the Flyers are chasing instead of being the chased. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the difference in their, in their game right now. They're, they're, uh, they're probably the toughest division, and not only is the division tough, but it's made even tougher because <laughs> the teams that make up the toughest division are the only teams you play. You know, the Islanders, the Caps, Pittsburgh, Boston. I mean, you're playing them almost every day, and that makes it even tougher. So when, when you make mistakes and, they, and they, the other team capitalizes on them, you have what you have with the Flyers right now. Um, it doesn't mean they can turn it around. It's only because they play the teams just about every week that they have to beat to uh, to mm-hmm. make a playoff spot. But um, I, it's just a tough team to figure out. Um, I I really think they have, you know, I, I really think that the general manager is in a tough spot. I mean, he has to make a decision. Are you going to go for it? Or are you just going to say, oh, well, let's see. Uh, who, who's interested in what we have? Um the, the New York Islanders, who I said at the beginning of the season were the team to beat, they got even stronger today. They picked up Travis Sajak and, and uh, Palmieri today from, from the Devils. I mean, oh, you know, they man. lose Andrews Lee. They lose Andrews Lee, who is one of my favorite players, and the team captain for the Islanders. But now they pick up Palmieri and Sajak. Uh, I mean, that just that just solidifies to me the Islanders as you know in a, in a very close division. I still think they're the best. Roger, and especially now after that, the uh, Tom, uh, Tom, I wanted to. We want to talk about, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what went on uh, the uh, with uh, Tiger Woods because I know you and I went back and forth earlier. But on a uh, positive, uh, Philly's off to a uh, five and one uh, start. Uh, how does the team look to you? Well, let me give you a couple of bullet points here, Roger. <laughs> what were the odds after six games a relief pitcher for the Phillies would be 3-0? and <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, what kind of odds could you have gotten Maybe 0-3 last year, but not 3-0. and Well, right. yeah, but 3-0. and I mean, uh, you know, and, and two things I noticed today that would have never happened in, in, in the Phillies under the previous uh, manager. Uh, what are the odds on, on JT Real Muto laying down a bunt? Yeah. Not as big as 3-0 and with the Reef pitcher. And also, the Phillies are stealing bases. Uh, right. And, you know, Joe, Joe Girardi said today after the game, when you're thinking home run, you're going to go out. 
you're going to get, you know, it's, it, one of two things are going to happen. You may hit one or you're going to strike out. And right. I think the two, big, the two big moves that the Phillies made, besides uh, Didi Gregorius and, and JT Realmuto, are their pitching coach and their hitting coach. The pitchers mm. apparently have got squared away, and, of course, the bullpen has been totally revamped. There's only one guy left, and that's Nervous Nurse. And uh, the hitting coach has completely turned around, guys, like, uh, you know, the, the Phillies' first baseman. He, he today hit balls all over the field. And right. he wouldn't do that last year. And, again, as the coach, as the manager said today, you're looking to launch the ball. Two things are going to happen. You maybe launch it, but you're going to strike out most of the times. And I think that's what's really happening with, with the Phillies. They're just a completely different team. And I don't think Joe Girardi had a chance because of the shortened season last year to really put his impact on the Phillies. Absolutely. uh, And and they're just uh, just playing baseball the way the game should be played. And, you know, I love stealing bases. I don't care. You know, they they stole a base today with with a 6-0 lead. Yo, a 6-0 lead in baseball today is a close game in many instances. So, yeah. uh, and, and I think the player, players realize that. And, I, you know, used to be, boy, you steal second with a 6 nothing lead. Uh, somebody's going to come headhunting for you the next time around. You're up. But I don't think that's the case anymore because of the way baseball teams are scoring these days. But, I'm, I'm, you know, I said that to uh, at one of the sports writers' banquets, and, Roger, you might have been there uh, two years ago. I was, uh, I was to introduce Gary Maddox to get the, uh, hometown, hero, the hometown hero award. And when I was, you know, rolling down, you know, the great, you know, aspects and, and, and the qualities of Gary Maddox, you know, nobody covers the earth more than Gary Maddox except water. Right. But he, he, in addition to, he stole 25 bases one year. And I'm, mm-hmm. st- I'm at the podium announcing this. And the Phillies manager at that time, Gabe Kapler, is sitting down next to me. And I said, stolen bases, coach. Stolen bases. That's a lost art. Do you think you guys can work on that? Well, obviously, <laughs> Kepler didn't, but Girardi is. When you have some speedy guys on the team, like Roman Quinn, who stole the base I'm talking about, and right. J.T. Riamuto, one of the qualities about Riamuto that people don't realize, he's fast. Yeah. He, he not only belies... He not only belies what a catcher should be or is, is, is pointed out to be, he goes above that. He's fast. And uh, you know, he lays down a bunt today, and I'll tell you what, I love it when they lay down a bunt when they got the shift on. If more guys start doing that, you know, you won't have to outlaw the shift. They'll, they'll, <laughs> it'll take care of itself. You know, have enough guys to sit into that open spot. Uh, you know, if they throw it slow, hit it slow. Just plop it down the third baseline. Hell, you might, you, might, you might even get a double out of it, you know, by the time it rolls into the left field corner. Um, and, I, and that's what I think is, is making the big difference with the Phillies, the whole mindset of hitting, the whole mindset of pitching, and the whole mindset of playing the game of baseball. Well, Tommy, Tommy in uh, conclusion for this segment, uh, I want to go back just for a quick answer before we go to our next guest. Uh, I, I go to what your topic was right off the bat. I think Joe Girardi is one of the best managers in baseball. I don't think he had an opportunity last year to show that. I think he is showing it right now. I think the Yankees made a big mistake by making a 
a change. Mm-hmm. I, I think Joe Girardi's the kind of guy you want for a manager. I agree. You do, it. And, you know, Don, today's game was four hours long. And I, I always remember, I always remember sitting next to you on the press box at, <laughs> at uh, Citizens Bank Park. And it's, a seven, it's in the seventh inning, and the game is almost three hours long. And uh, <laughs> you would say, you know, guys, I'll see you later. I'm off in about 42 minutes. I'll be in the arms of my wonderful woman. And I, 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 always, referred, I always referred to that as the Don Henry. Tommy, th- thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Billy Wardell up there, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, Thank you, Don. Take care. Thanks, Rich. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Mike's ready now. We're going to switch over to. We're going to say. Yeah, we we can switch over. We can switch over to a lot of things now because uh, a lot of news on the Washington front from a hockey standpoint. Uh, a lot of uh, soccer, as you well know. Every time we talk to Mike, we talk soccer. But uh, there's so many things happening in the Washington area right now, Baltimore area. Mike, welcome to the show once again, and uh, will, let's go. Let's start off with the with the uh, Washington football team first, uh, because they made a couple of, of interesting moves. Uh, which moves are you referring to, Don? <laughs> well, they they got a, a new offensive lineman, didn't they? They they uh, got a backup quarterback. Yeah, um, you know they, they signed a couple. Of, I think. So the biggest move that they made this all season was um, was, was resigning uh, was the signing of Fitzpatrick. Uh, the, I'm trying to remember who they just signed, but they uh, sorry um, picking up Fitzpatrick was was the uh, the was the big one. Um, otherwise, they're just bringing in you know camp bodies uh, for. To, to play to play with because you know they like Heineke they signed him they still got Kyle Allen I think that's where where the confusion is uh, is to uh, how they feel about Kyle Allen and will he be up to play but uh, Rivera announced earlier that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be the starter going into uh, training camp uh, and uh, you know we knew that they needed some help on the offensive line especially after uh, letting Trent Alexander last year. So the moves they made right. are kind of in line with what we expected from Washington. They're really going for the culture guys. Uh, Ron's bringing in his guys. Um, you know, I think bringing in Fitzpatrick is an interesting move. Uh, it can either go really, really well or really, really wrong. You know, I think it keeps competitive, but it still doesn't address the elephant in the room, which is what are you going to do uh, after next year? Right. Well, the, the other mm-hmm. thing, uh, Mike, uh, uh, I just bring up quickly because I want to get to Roger because he wants to get into the soccer right away. But uh, it's going to be another year where the United States team is going to be sitting on the sidelines, soccer-wise. We're not going to be in. We're not going to be in the big tournaments. Well, the reason why we're not going to be in the big tournaments this year, as far as the U.S., because there aren't any. Right. You know. Um, we may start on the Olympics. I think that's what you're referring to. And to be honest, Don, I don't think that's a big deal. And I'll tell you why. If you look at the kids that didn't play in the Olympic tournament, which is an under-23 tournament, I can give you a whole – because they couldn't travel, because they're all European-based, they couldn't travel. 
or weren't released by their teams. I'm thinking of guys like uh, like uh, Tim Weah, uh, Tyler Adams, Mark McKenzie, uh, Brendan Aronson, uh, Sergio Guest. Uh, um, all these guys would have come in and made a huge difference, but they were said to be so important. They were too important for their teams to release them mid-season uh, to, to travel. And because of the travel restrictions, if they had gone to Mexico, they couldn't get back. So because the tournament started outside of a feet of a sanctioned window, these teams did not have to release these players, right? And we had a bunch of them that were playing for the senior men's national team when they played against Jamaica and Austria and against uh, Northern Ireland in Northern Ireland. Had they been on the team, do we beat Honduras? Probably. And we go to the Olympics, but that didn't happen. As fans, we've been screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming and screaming for years to let our best young players go over to Europe because that's where they need to develop. They need to be getting consistent mm-hmm. moment, minutes playing in Europe, playing against the top competition, playing, against the, playing over there. Now they're there. So apparently the cost is the Olympics. But at the rate the men are playing, the tournament games that they have coming up, the World Cup qualifiers, you know, I'd be, I'll be honest, I'd rather see guys like Kristen Pulisic get minutes in the Champions League against Cristiano Ronaldo and players like that than play against two knows in the Olympics. So anybody who's all down on the U.S. men's soccer program because we didn't qualify for the Olympics needs to look at the bigger picture. You, you know, a lot of teams aren't going to qualify for the Olympics. Shoot, Brazil, who's the best soccer playing in, nation in the world, didn't win an Olympic tournament until it was held in Brazil. So it's not the biggest deal in the world. I think they made you know, the U.S. soccer made a bigger deal out of the Olympic qualifications, talking about how critical it was to get these guys. But that's an antiquated view based on when the, most of our young players were still playing in the United States, and this was the first opportunity that they would have to play against uh, in a tournament against competition outside of CONCACAF or outside of this region. You know, now that we have so many of our good players going over to – uh, the, to Europe at a, a young age. Shoot, the kid from right down your neck of woods in Orlando, Daryl DK, is overtaking Europe by storm at Swansea City right now. I think he's got eight goals in 13 games, and they're talking about bringing him up to one of the top sides in the Premier League. Let the players play where they are. We'll be fine. I still think, based on what I saw, that this is as talented a young American team that we should all get behind as I can remember in well over a generation. So don't let the Roger. Roger. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, a, a number of things. Uh, I see the uh, United uh, sign this 18-year-old uh, on one of the, those uh, short-term contracts. Uh, mm-hmm. Rocco Novo, he's only 18 years old, born in L.A., mm-hmm. but uh, uh, citizenship in the U.S. and Argentina. And uh, the, uh, they played their first game in uh, Costa Rica at that uh, tournament. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about uh, how that works, where they're able to sign a short-term agreement uh, each season. What is it, maximum 16 days, right? They're allowed a certain uh, four, I think, what is it, four? Four agreements they're allowed? 
Um, I think you're talking about trials based on a nice system. Hey, we're going to see, bring them in and see what they, what they do. Um, they can also sign loan deals. I know that they were looking at bringing somebody on loan, which is means, just means that we're going to – you're right to retain by your team, but we're bringing – sending them over this kid over there for however many months. Uh, if it's a European player, they'll send them over until the end of the season with their season because they want them to come back and train for the next season. It's an opportunity for uh, kids who may not be getting playing time mm-hmm. at bigger clubs to go and develop elsewhere. Think of it like um, a European team using MLS as a minor league farm system. You know, how mm-hmm. if um, Alec Boom or, or, or somebody wasn't performing for the Phils who had a couple of options left, they might send them down to uh, Clearwater or something for a short time. That's basically what they're doing. So they can sign um, however many they need. It looks like they just made a, a, a loan signing. But I'll be honest with the with the union. Um, anybody they bring in at this point is just either we really want to get a look at them for a little bit and see if it's worth it to sign them because I think they went into the match today, which they picked up a one nothing win in a really really tough uh, game. You know, going down to Costa Rica where those guys have already been playing for a while in your first game in Costa Rica and coming out with a 1-0 win uh, is a big deal. And they were missing some of their key players. So I say that to say that the uh, Philadelphia Union's lineup, I, I think, is, is pretty set as far as who they were. Um, Roger, I'll tell you what. I was up in uh, Philly last week. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and uh, he told me he'd been in touch with one of the guys on the Philadelphia Union um, scouting report uh, on the Philadelphia Union coaching staff. And he was, uh, my friend said, uh, this guy told him the Union actually think that the younger Aronson brother, Paxton, is even better than Brendan was. And that one of the reasons why they didn't go out and try and replace uh, Brendan Aronson after they made that sit, they sold him uh, to Europe was because they thought his younger, his brother is even better. And they wanted to give him time to develop. Tommy? Yeah. Interesting. Mike, how are you doing? Hope you had a good Easter down there, Mike. Well, you yeah, know, I, I, got home to, uh, I was off last week, so I went up to Philly for a couple of days. I got to see my nice. father for the first time in 15 months. Uh, it was really wow. nice. Uh, I was even there for um, – I wasn't at the stadium, but I was in the city for opening day of just the, the nice. electricity in the city. Uh, during during the opening day was incredible, so it was great to be back there. No, that's great. But what about the the Capitals right now? Do you think they got enough strength to 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 win the Cup this year? This could this be the last year for you know like Ovechkin to be there, or else did they get up in age right now? Well, I think um, they are gearing up for a last run. Um, they made a couple of roster moves. Uh, recently that should give them a little bit more flexibility. It looks like they're going to be trying to add a winger at the trade deadline. Um, They're still sitting atop the Eastern Conference, which is, you know, for my money, is a really good place to be. I think this season, being how they're just playing amongst each other, has gotten to this point where you're just seeing teams beat up on each other because they've played Mm -hmm. each other so doggone much. Which kind of, to me, explains why the Caps are losing games to teams lower down in the uh, the, the division, and 
you know, they're only six and four in their last ten, but they still managed to get, you know, they're still tied with the Islanders on top of the Eastern Conference. Right now, I think if the Caps had it their way, they would just want to get to the uh, playoffs and get that started, and they'd just as soon see a complete and utter end to the regular season. I would too, Mike, because this way here with the Lightning fighting and they're playing against Chicago, the, the you know, Carolinas, the Columbuses right now. Because of being a hockey diehard fan like I am, I want to see the Lightning play against Washington, Toronto, Montreal, Philadelphia, the Rangers, to see about that. This year has been a, it's been a crazy year. I hope next year things will be better so we can have in our building Alexander Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, you know, Patrice Bergeron back in there again. But, you know, how many times when I see Columbus, you know, it's not that good a hockey team or Detroit, you know, it's just it's just a tough thing to witness. As to the fans. I applaud Gary Bettman for getting a season together and being able to do this so that we can have something that resembles an NHL season. But I'll tell you what, if I have to see the Caps play the Bruins one more time, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I was saying to somebody today, I was just looking at the Phil's schedule, and I was like, oh, doggone it. It looks like this season, every time I turn around, the Phil's are going to be playing the Mets. I swear, in a 162-game <laughs> season, the Phillies are playing the mm-hmm. Mets 3,917 times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And the Braves. Yeah, uh-huh. it's either the Mets or the Braves. So, Jeez, uh, but it, I understand it. I understand it. But I, I think just about everybody, you know, I'm happy that there's hockey. I enjoy it. But I just can't mm-hmm. see these things. I can't keep watching them play the same teams over and over again. And I think the guys <laughs> on the team are just bored of playing the same opponents. Right. It's like the same hotel every week. Mm-hmm. It's got to be like Groundhog Day to them. Exactly, because look, look, look what Montreal got. Eric Stahl from from Buffalo, and that puts Montreal back on the in the pace in the playoff run. And I think Detroit is get, Detroit Buffalo are all giving up to make a playoffs this year. But that's that's what I look. But every time Lightning plays the Columbus Blue Jackets, Don Tortorella has the Lightning's number. They went back for that playoff sweep. Thank God they beat them last year, but. You know they they have they have his number up there and, and on that and it is they they're lucky to in Detroit they're lucky to beat Detroit on Saturday and what Easter Sunday was just a you know wasted day just to go down there to watch this stuff you know people's mind was not in the game of hockey that that day but you know, as as John Cooper says I said earlier in the program John Cooper said all this is right now is just a baseball schedule. That's all it is right now. And it's a, you know, try to put the hockey players in a baseball schedule. It doesn't work. You know, this thank God Gary got, Gary got the schedule to, together. They got the teams together to get a season underway. And let's hope, guys, and pray, pray to the Lord that next year be a, a regular hockey year. I'm hoping for that, guys. I'm just hoping that we get regular sports all the way around. I know oh, that gosh, I'm yeah. interrupted. Um, I know that I want to get interrupt. I'm going to get interrupted by uh, by uh, Doug in a little bit, but we we do have to touch on the Nationals and the right. season that just wouldn't start. But oh, they boy. finally got 
yeah, they finally got – they had um, nine players, uh, four Oof. tested positive, and five were considered to be in close proximity. Uh, so they had to sit out. So they opened up the, – the Nats opened up the season, and among the nine players that they were missing – both um, Jan Gomes and Alex Aviles, which meant they had no veteran catchers. They had to go and sign somebody off the street. Their third and fourth starters, and John Lester and Patrick Corbin, their top bullpen hand that they brought in, and Brad Hand. Uh, their first baseman, Josh Bell, who was one of their big offseason acquisitions, and mm-hmm. one of their starting outfielders, Kyle Forber, who was another big free agent acquisition. And, mm-hmm. you know, they dropped the series to the uh, – to the to Atlanta, uh, they won the opener on a walk off by Juan Soto. And guys, pay attention to him this year. I know that we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about him, but I think Juan Soto is going to be high in the running for MVP throughout the season. He's primed to have that sort of mm-hmm. year where he just takes another step forward and starts to get talked about in that pantheon of young superstars. Uh, Tatis Jr. and Vlad um, Guerrero, um, he is a really terrific young hitter. And uh, Victor Robles, who's just been, uh, and Trey Turner, the top three in that lineup have just been immense, yeah. even though it's early. Um, so they did, did not won the opener, although Max Scherzer did give up a home run on the first pick game. Oh, uh, but they dropped both, uh, they dropped both parts of that doubleheader today, so they ended up losing the series to Atlanta. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see when they start to get these guys back. You know, you could right. say something for the fact that if um, if you have to have it happen, happen at the, have it happen at the beginning of a long season because yes. it gives you plenty of time to recover and reschedule. But who mm-hmm. wants to get a season started with without nine guys on your regular 26-man roster? That's tough. Well, That's Mike, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, as always, and uh, we'll do it again next week. And you touched okay. on it all. You touched on everything that goes on in Washington, as well as the national scene and the hockey and the soccer front. So thank you very much, and we'll catch you next week. Man, a full season. Our, our PGA professional is standing by right now, and, of course, Doug Hamilton joins us each and every week. And, Doug, you're about to get some nice enough weather to release people. You get out and play the whole golf uh, they tell me it's up to like 55 degrees and uh, maybe 55, 60. I know the grass will be a little soft, but uh, mm. it looks like you're going to start to play some golf. Yeah. I mean, ever since Easter this past Sunday, it's been, uh, you know, I mean, today was yesterday and today we're both 75 degrees here. So, um, wow. you know, we've, we've certainly seen some people and, you know, the, perpetual nature of of the business itself suggests that members want to come out and play and hit balls and do their thing you know and, and i'm still uh, i mean i've i've had my inside staff together we've been together four days now um so it's it's nice to kind of have some bodies there and, and to help me um, i'm certainly still looking for you know some uh, after school help and and uh, maybe some retired help to help me uh just you know, facilitate play when it comes to, you know, getting carts out and, and picking the range and doing mm-hmm. all that stuff. Because if my inside guys are doing that right now, which they are, it's counterproductive to, you know, building a lot of the things that we need to uh, program-wise and tournament-wise and schedule-wise and all these different things. So it's it's been an odd, 
you know, uh, beginning to, uh, to this scenario for me. And, you know, I've had a lot of compliments on the individuals I've hired for the staff. And I know that I have some experience. I have some youth. I have um, some diversification in terms of uh, what it is that we know and, and where we've come from. Uh, so it's, it's a really good group. I, I, um, I was telling my dad, I called him on the way home. It's dad's birthday today. So I wanted to wish him a happy birthday. Uh, good. We, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. We talking about some things and, I went down to the range just to hit a few balls, and, and one of the members looks at me and he says, "What are you still doing here?" And I said, "I said, sir, I said I don't even look at my watch anymore. I'm just happy to be here." And, and you know, um, you know, time is just, you know, time. You know, you're, I'm I'm there. I'm doing stuff. I mean, for the first time in, gosh, probably I want to say maybe as many as five years. Um, I'm really happy to go to work. I feel like I'm accomplishing Not something. A job. I feel like I'm I'm building it's something. It is, and mm-hmm. and um, I'm very passionate about this opportunity, and I really haven't played much golf in the last two years at, at all. And for me to go, you know, want to practice, and you know, hopefully this weekend um, when it quiets a little bit in the afternoon, I'll probably try to go play a few holes. And um, this is this is different for me. I, I feel like I'm actually um, getting better as a human being every day at something, um, and that's that's yeah. really exciting to me. So, Roger, fantastic! You deserve the, it. Uh, what? How do you go about uh, hiring? You have your inside staff, Doug, mm-hmm. and now you've got to get outside people. And like you said, after school, well, colleges mm-hmm. aren't out for uh, at least yeah. another month. Most of them, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, how do you go about recruiting these uh, new people? Well, I tell you, uh, early in the process of this, when I knew uh, that this opportunity could actually uh, be a possibility, um, you know, I've networked very well over the years uh, with different people. And it's like we said, you know, if uh, one of the young assistant coaches from, you know, the Eagles lands a head coaching job, the likelihood of him taking some of his current staff with him is probably pretty good. I mean, um, you know, I was able to get a guy or two from my previous uh, employment. And, you know, most oh, of the time it happens, it happens through word of mouth. Um, you know, Hey, I got a neighbor. Hey, I got a, you know, my members approach me and they say, Hey, I, you know, my son has a buddy that, you know, is a good kid or just different things like that, that lend themselves to opportunities mm-hmm. that you can uh, hire different kids from. Um, you know, there's um, individuals that were uh, employed, you know, one home country club over the last several years that have made uh, contact to me, maybe they're college kids or, um, you know, former individuals that work there that, that want to come back. So, I mean, you, you just do your due diligence and you screen them and you interview them like you would anybody else to see if they'd be a good fit in terms of the team you're trying to build. And, and um, you know, I've, I've always been uh, of the mindset that you find out what people are really good at and you let them do it. I mean, if, you know, if you have somebody that's a detail-oriented individual and, and they're really good at washing golf carts and making them look clean, well, hell, you stick them downstairs and, you know, you, you let them do their thing. If you have somebody who likes to, to sit in the range picker for a couple hours, then you hire them and you let them do your thing. So, um, you know, I think I, I just feel like I'm building a really good team of uh, of individuals. And, and guess what? The individuals I hired inside, they, they've come from other clubs. They know different people. So. Um, it's not as hard as you think, but, um, you know, the timing of it, I think is, is more of what we're talking about because Roger, as you mentioned, a lot of these, 
uh, college kids that I really badly need are, are still doing their virtual thing or they're, they're away, uh, you know, on campus or whatever they're doing, you know. So it's it's just it's it's all going to come together in about another two weeks, I think. Tommy, great. That's great news, Doug. When you think about that, you come a you you, you come a long way. You're you're very happy. The mm-hmm. the weather's finally changing right now, which is wonderful. Uh, what, what would you tell like the a guy just he just bought a new set of clubs, and mm-hmm. would you tell him they just go to the range first, or, and then this guy would go one wants to go play? Would you tell hit the range first, or or get a lesson from one of your staff before you, you even sit yeah. the he hits a golf course, he even hits the plays a one hole golf? Would you tell just go get a lesson? You know, what, what would you do in a situation that way? Yeah, listen, I think it's no different than you know maybe one of the first few times if you decided that you wanted to you know, start to exercise or go to the gym, I think you should probably, you know, go through the, uh, the process of, of seeking out some, you know, mm-hmm. trained or professional help that can, you know, kind of point you in the right direction. I mean, if, if you're an established golfer and you just got a new set of clubs, I don't really think it's a big deal to, uh, say hello to your local golf professional and, and have yep. them watch you hit a few and, uh, go through the process of making sure that we're, we're on the right track. Um, you know, I think that's certainly money well spent when it comes to I mean, each individual that plays golf, um, no different than um, anything else, should know what their strengths and their weaknesses are and, and, uh, and try to make improvements upon them. I mean, if we go to the range and we hit golf balls and do the things, if, oh, well, I'm really good with my tee shot and I stand down there and hit, hit my driver, well, they're not really improving their game. So we need to get into some of the aspects that, um, right. you know, that maybe trouble us, so. Well, Doug, we always talk a little football. We we have you on not only golf but the Ravens, and uh, yeah, uh, right now they they've added a couple of pieces. Uh, Watkins, of course, came in. That came in, and uh, uh, some of your thoughts on on what's going to happen because Matt Judd Judden went out. Uh, give us an idea of the Ravens. Yeah, I mean the there was a bit of a revolving door there. We we talked about their needs for, um, you know pass rush um and it's been that way for several years you know it's uh kind of one of those things that they've been in search of um you know quality wide receivers and pass rushers you know so long as i've been a fan of theirs uh, i mean i think matthew judon was a was a nice part of that team in terms of what he did on that edge and had the ability to rush the passer but um they, they've never really had i mean even back to the uh, gosh, the last guy that I can remember that was kind of a pure pass rusher for the Ravens was was uh, was Peter Bowler, you know, back in their 2000 days, you know. So, right. um, you know, I think they have uh, a need for um, playmaking safety. I think that they were on the right track with Earl Thomas until he got off the track in terms of being a dum-dum. Um, but, you know, I think that they have several draft picks that I know that they'll use wisely. I think that they've added uh, Sammy Watkins, which I know he has familiarity with, um, with Greg Roman and his offense and, and some of the uh, different things that they're doing there. I mean, they re-signed some of their – a couple of their guys. Um, uh, LJ Fort, um, which I thought was, was good. I think he played a, a nice uh, kind of a smallish linebacker position for them that had good coverage skills. I think that um, they, they re-signed Anthony Levine today, which is more of a special teamer. Um, but they have – a fairly good secondary. Um, you know, I think they have um, – they signed Kevin Zeitler, which I think will help 
uh, with their offensive line, whether they stick uh, Bozeman on that left guard position, which he had played, but also had played some center at Alabama before they drafted him. So maybe they move him in there. Um, you know, I think that, can they find um, uh, can they find uh, Ed Rusher because they they drafted a good position? Uh, yeah, well, any speculation? Any speculation on what players are looking yeah. at? Because that's that's one of their weak points. Well, and I also believe too that over the years, you know, whether it was Ozzie Newsom or or now um, Eric DaCosta, I mean, they've always kind of stuck to their draft board in terms of picking the best available player uh, when it was their turn to draft. And uh, whether that means it's, it's it fills a need or whether that's you know just acquiring a really good player, um, as we saw last year when they drafted Dobbins in the second round. That wasn't necessarily a need, but they had him, you know, with a very high grade, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he fell to them. So, you know, they'll, they'll they'll pick some really good players, and they typically find some gems in that uh, third, fourth, fifth round kind of a scenario that um, allow them to uh, plug people in there and, and develop and, and uh, move forward. I mean, you know, the cupboard's mm-hmm. not bare uh, even to start, uh, but they do need some help um, in a couple positions there. Roger? Mm-hmm. The uh, you know I was just thinking Doug getting back to the recruiting they uh, that mm-hmm. uh, I had hired uh, for uh, when I was doing some contracting work I hired uh, Don's grandson one of his grandsons terrific uh, young man uh, Adam mm-hmm. Ziegler and then he left to go to work for the country club isn't that right Don yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know I, I it just hit me well there's a perfect example of a young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, going to uh, work in a situation like you have the uh, what's the difference uh, since it's been early on for you between mm-hmm. your old club and the new club uh, is the membership greater at the old uh, than the new et cetera well the, I'd say the largest difference is the fact that the structure of the clubs themselves uh, internally is completely different um, you know I think that to be a family-owned for-profit entity, uh, which I ran before, was was their concentration, I think, was in certain areas, obviously dollar bills being the most, um, you know, but this particular establishment isn't necessarily, their, their goal isn't to be a for-profit, although obviously they're in business, do business, and make money. Um, a lot of the decisions that they make are not at the expense of the membership with regard to how they spend their money. So, um, you know, I think that... Um, you know, it's a completely different environment that I'm in that basically is, um, you know, hey, look, man, you're, you're, you're the leader of my golf operations. I want you to run it as you see fit versus, you know, well, we only have a certain budget and we have to stay within it and I'd like to do that for you, but I can't afford it and we'll just have to do with what we have and, you know, those sorts of things uh, take precedent. I mean, I was able to go out and and hire my staff and say, okay, well, you have this much money to spend. You spend it how you want to. And I, I – I erred on the side of experience, um, you know, in terms of thinking that, you know what, we're going to try to build a program here, so I need some help to do that. I can't do that by myself, so I have to pay some people probably a little bit more money than, than what I would normally pay them, but I, but that's I know what I'm getting. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Don, what do you think about so, the Masters? We haven't talked about the Masters, yeah, Don. The Masters, yes. Yeah, I uh, I turned on the well, actually one of the members turned on the TV in the golf shop there for a while, and uh, certainly we know that uh, Wednesdays is is par three. But I I'll be damned, I didn't watch a, a lick of golf today. I was 
uh, incredibly busy with trying to, you know, do some different things today. And, and it, that's what I was telling Frank when he patched me in. It just seems like every daggone day, I mean, I start from the time my feet hit the floor until my head hits the pillows, you know, trying to knock things off my list of things to do. And, um, you know, there, there are times that it would be nice to watch, you know, something like that, but, you know, certain things mm-hmm. get in the way and, and you just can't do it. So, uh, yeah. Did Jordan Spieth win two weeks in a row? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, certainly I would root for him to to win to to have him win his in his home state of Texas to win the Valero was was great. Um, you know, I think it's wonderful that he's back on track, and uh, hopefully, I'll, you know, I look forward to him you know, playing very well in the Masters. Um, obviously, he's won there before, and you know, he probably would have won uh, at least once more had that stinking par three not been a problem for him. So. Oh boy. Um you know, we'll see what happens. I mean it's you know, what's better than watching the Masters um in November and then, then seeing it again in April, so Yes. That's the next question, Doug. Real quick question for Doug now. The Masters was in November last year, now it's in his normal spot. Is that advantage mm-hmm. for the golfers to play in April or 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 is it better for them to play in November because the greens and the, the course would have been is the same shape. Was it better for them to play this coming weekend or, or November? Um, that's a good question. I mean, obviously it was better for the world of sports to have them play in November, but, but certainly right. that's outside of uh, the normal, um, mm-hmm. you know, season, so to speak. I mean, I think that Augusta typically gets their golf course in shape specifically for the Masters. Um, certainly they have the budget and, and dollar bills to do it otherwise, but uh, you know, November November in uh, in Georgia is different than April in Georgia. Uh, so, um, mm-hmm. I, mean, I I think it would be more advantageous for the member or for the players to uh, stay on their schedule of, of April um, and kind of know you know what some of those conditions are like. Um, you know, as they would be in, in years past. I mean, I think we're all creatures. Yeah, the weather the weather so. forecast is not great for the weekend. Uh, Fifteen to twenty mile an hour winds, slight uh, showers. Both uh, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, and then maybe even to Sunday. But going oh, back boy. to Roger's question a moment ago, uh, your mm-hmm. former club, uh, how many golf members mm-hmm. did you have? And at the present club, how many golf members do you have? Uh, the old club had uh, probably about 320 members. I'd say this one has about 230, maybe. Okay, um, so cheat times I mean, are not a problem. No, I mean, uh, it's it's funny you say that because uh, Tuesday through Friday, no one even makes a tee time. They just show up. We don't even, there is no system in place. And then weekends, um, you know, it was kind of up to me to figure out what we were going to do moving forward. But at the old club, they're, they're packed from, from first tee time until dark every day, um, you cool. know. And uh, so they, they've gone to an online system, um, which – I was anti. I was against that because I think it kind of detracts from <clears throat> what the the membership experience should be. Um, I think mm-hmm. it makes it more resorty. Um, I don't I don't believe that it falls in line with what a country club should be doing. But that was certainly just my opinion. So, um, you know, I think that you know, in in large part, I mean, you know, Don, I I know that 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 you and Tommy are. Uh, of of more mature status in terms of of playing golf. I mean, I don't believe that you guys would be excited about going online to make your tee time, uh, you know, versus being 
in your normal group that has their tea time every week or, or uh, calling the pro shop mm-hmm. and actually speaking with somebody, I think, is a different different scenario. In that case, sir, that's old-time old golf etiquette. Did you used to pick up the yeah. telephone? They, they were coming out to the courses. I go say to our Hernando Oaks golf course in Brooksville, Florida, when it sponsors of, when, for the mm-hmm. course of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I just called down there, and what time yeah. are you coming up? And it's 3 o'clock. I usually come at 3 o'clock, and now they know I usually come at 3 o'clock instead of going online, figuring all that stuff out, knowing me and my computer literacy, I probably would mess up the right. reservation. Yeah, Roger, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, no. That's okay. I was just uh, checking the weather, uh, like Don mentioned, uh, to see, uh, you know, what it's going to be like. And uh, because I'll tell you, it was beautiful here today, and I was watching the uh, Mm. uh, Wednesday at the Masters and, uh, you know, with all the practicing and everything going on. And um, it it looks like, let's see, um, you know, going tomorrow – yeah, I, I have it on right now. It's a beautiful, beautiful day today at the Masters. I've been watching oh, the practice yeah, round for the last absolutely half, maybe hour and a half. Yeah. yeah, absolutely gorgeous. But you're right, Don. Uh, tomorrow it's supposed to have uh, showers. Right. And, uh, right. But, and uh, you know, it's going to be right into the weekend. Yeah, mm. and at 1 o'clock tomorrow it's going to be 50 degrees, a far cry from mm. 80 today. Right. And then, so, uh, you know. You have to just uh, roll with the punches, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, let me go back to an individual player. McElroy is, is one that really comes to my mind right now, and I've met a couple of times to talk to you about it. The fact that uh, DeChambeau uh, mm-hmm. made him change his game to that degree, a, a player that's won all over the world, and – played with DeChambeau because DeChambeau hits the ball, decided to change his game and his clubs. And I mean, mm-hmm. why would you do something like that? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I think that once you've achieved, you know, that particular level, um, you know, we, we've seen this before with, you know, David Duvall over the years was the number one ranked player in the world forever. He lost a bunch of weight and just never really reclaimed his status. Ian Baker Finch tried to change his ball flight and was never able to really do anything ever again. Um, right. You know, there's many players that you could probably go through and, and take a look at that tried to, you know, do different things, uh, you know, to get better but actually got worse. And, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, when you get to a certain level, I mean, Roy McIlroy is a fabulous player. I mean, I don't know why the heck he would, you know, try to do that. I mean, if he, if he, if he had some fun one day and wanted to do a long drive contest with him, that's one thing, but to change your actual playing style, um, you know, week in and week out, I think is, is kind of counterproductive to, to who he is as a player. Um, and, and as you know, that's going to likely work out as a detriment to him. So. Especially based on what somebody else is doing. I mean, you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, didn't make any sense to me. If you, if you put Roy McIlroy behind Bryson DeChambeau, you wouldn't be able to see him. I mean, he's a big guy, and Roy's, you know, he's fit, but he's he's not of that stature. Their games aren't the same, and they can never be built that way, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Roger? Well, that, that's that's right, and uh, uh, what the – I was just uh, watching something on there that uh, got to me. How What time did that uh, – 
uh, par three uh, go on today, Doug? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't. I would usually do those kind of mid afternoon before I, I, I thought I did. I don't think they played it. I thought they uh, put that aside. <laughs> I, I may be wrong. But I didn't see it. I think you're did, right, I Don. I think you're yeah. right. Because all I saw was practice. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I've been watching yeah. it for like the last hour. Yeah, and also the uh, Tommy, you know the, his, the, the kids the, the family the family thing too where your son or daughter plays with right. uh, mm-hmm. I think they cancel I think they canceled all of those things. Right. Always hmm. uh, always next year. Right. That's right. Maybe. Always next year, hopefully, right? What you know, uh, uh, Doug? Before we let you go, what about the Orioles? Uh, what do you think? Hey, Rob, well, they we were beating. Okay, we got to save it to next week. I, okay. We didn't even talk about Tiger Woods' uh, accident. So, no. okay, that's a, that's a big topic. But anyway, yes, go ahead, Tommy. Well, just, well, Frank said tick tick tock. I can't believe the fastest two hours in radio. I want to thank everybody for coming <laughs> on, Doug. Mr. Mm. Mr. Legend, Mr. Don Henderson, Mr. Roger Henry, Frank for spinning the dials. It's been a wonderful, wonderful. All of our guests we had on Roy Cummings, Scotty Bowman, um, you know Tom Tom Lemayne, Mike Simzak, the coach, the coach, oh my, oh my old golfing buddy Brett. Another, another, another great job, Frank and Doug. Correct. Thank you very much. We'll talk about yeah, the Masters sure. next week when you come on and see what you think about yes, that and. Uh, Gentlemen, we'll get together next Wednesday. Thanks a lot, Frank. Great job. Bye. Absolutely, Frank. We owe everything to you. God bless. Have a great week. Tommy, be safe. Doug, Don, be safe. Take care. Yes, everybody be safe out there. Well, Frank, another great job again. It was so great to hear um, Brett Deeds talk again about football. I can't. I had to squeeze that thing in. How's your golf game? He starts cracking up again. So, Frank, great job again for my family, your family. Be safe, and God bless everybody. And, Frank, take it away, sir. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, these, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of Peace and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure that you know, them know you, let them know you know they're there. They're doing a very tough job in a very tough time. Uh, so please acknowledge them. <clears throat> Programs are dedicated to those Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Kendler, <clears throat> Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafo Chris from Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, along with Cape Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrol and Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police, Cor- <clears throat> Captain uh, Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, 
FTLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Sergeant Brian Levine, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Mike Malik, um, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great day.
1999. County dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised. 1999 has responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. We miss you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.